Hello, Trash Crusaders. Welcome to episode 24 of Save Trash Cinema, the podcast where exploitation and exploration come together. It is I, your humble host, your guide through trash cinema, and your favorite dumpster boy, Cayman Darty. And on today's episode, we're dialing up the blood, the 80s, and the metaphors when we cover the 1982 feminist classic, The Slumber Party Massacre. But before we get to that, let me introduce you to the only person I know whose entire wardrobe is made up of nothing but denim. Patrick Schweiger. Oh man, I you know I read this last night, and I I could have worn denim, and I chose not to because I obviously don't care, and for that I apologize. But thank you for having me on the show. Big fan, always wanting to get on this show. Thanks for having me. You're always welcome, and you're always welcome back. And our very special guest on today's episode, one might say she's the better half of Switchblade Cinema, star of the latest badass short film, Do Not Resuscitate, as well as a director of the upcoming and award-winning short film, Sucker, our friend Alex Austin. Hello, thank you so much for having me back. And uh, yeah, I, I always forget I'm in Do Not Resuscitate, uh, but I play a, a spooky a spooky soul uh, who I hope I haunt your nightmares. I have thought about it on more than one occasion uh, and been scared by it. So <laughs> good. I'm you glad know, to hear it. It's funny. We were actually, so we got an Airbnb for my wedding. And so we had all the wedding party there. I think this was before Patrick arrived, um, but we actually put it on the TV and I was like showing it off. It was like, guys, check this shit out. Everyone was like, this is fucking awesome. Also, we're in the middle of the woods and there's no one around us. And I was like, <laughs> Yeah, like a 4D yeah. experience. Yep, like uh, get you guys all spooked up and ready. Now, oh, before we jump okay. into the actual episode, let's do a little quick housekeeping. We'd love it if you rate and review the podcast on your podcast app of choice. Don't be free, don't forget you can be on the show by submitting movie recommendations or being a guest host by emailing us at save trash cinema gmail.com or you can DM us on Twitter at save trash cinema or on Instagram at save trash cinema as well. Make sure to check out last week's episode when I left the garbage kids to their own devices and they decided. It was a good idea to cover the 2001 muscle-filled classic, Fast and the Furious. <laughs> Fucking Christ. Is it trash cinema? One way to find out, and that's to listen to the episode. Perfect. We will be continuing to release mini-sodes, crossover episodes, interviews, and even game shows. Uh, so keep your eyes peeled for some exciting content coming down the pipeline. Before we go any further, though, let's do a little overview of The Slumber Party Massacre. <laughs> The Slumber Party Massacre is a 1982 slasher film written by Rita Mae Brown and directed by Amy Holden Jones. Now, Rita Mae Brown is an acclaimed feminist author known best for her coming-of-age autobiographical novel, Ruby Fruit Jungle, as well as the Mrs. Murphy mystery series. Outside of Slumber Party Massacre, she wrote the screenplays on a series of TV movies such as The Woman Who Loved Elvis and The Long Hot Summer. Now, Amy Holden Jones is known mostly as the writer behind everyone's beloved 90s dog movie, Beethoven, the Julia Roberts-led vehicle, Mystic Pizza, and as the creator of my mom's favorite hospital drama, The Resident, currently wow. showing on Fox. Yeah. If you Filmed in Atlanta. States. Is it really? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, then They're... we got to get, get Amy Holden Jones on now. Yeah, the, the hospital crazy. is the Alliance Theater in like the Woodruff Art Center. Oh, shit, I didn't know that. That's yeah. crazy. All right, well, hell yeah. 
Well, the story goes as such. An 18-year-old high school student is left at home by her parents for the weekend where she decides to have a slumber party for the girls on her basketball team. Unfortunately for them, there is an escaped murderer currently on the prowl with nothing but wanton mayhem and attractive women on his mind. Can the girls survive the night, or will they be just another notch on his murderous bedpost? The film stars Michelle Michaels from New Year's Evil and Demon Rage, Robin Style from Vampire Nights and Sorority Babes in the Slime Bowlerama, Gina Smika Hunter from The Sword and Sorcerer, and this one's a shout out to Kier. Trapper John MD. Is that a, a Kier favorite? He was. Uh, he brought it up during Razorback when he was oh, talking oh, yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. <laughs> I remember now. He was. Yeah, he was talking about how this like one guy. This is the only thing he's ever done. He's like, I don't know why he's a sex symbol. <laughs> he does make sense. <laughs> but hey, guess what, uh, Kier? I know you're listening because your wife's on this episode. Trapper John MD. He's getting another call out. Relevant. The uh, film also stars Michael Villella. Uh, who was in a movie called Wild Orchid. Um, And I don't know, he's the big bad in this movie, and that's the only other movie he's done, which is kind of a shame since... I mean, you know... Get out on top, right? Get out on top. Uh, The film runs for an hour and 17 minutes and sports a Rotten Tomatoes score of 39%, which is fucking bullshit. That is bullshit. The movie is currently streaming for free on Tubi, Pluto TV, Amazon Prime, with ads. Freebie and Redbox, which I didn't know was a thing, but apparently it is a channel. If you have a Roku, a Roku TV, you can watch it there. Uh, but if you're like me, you'll buy a copy, which you can snag on Blu-ray right now for around $15 in a beautiful package from Shout Factory. But with the overview out of the way, why don't we take a little time to discuss some initial thoughts? Now, Alex, I'm going to start with you on this episode because you were the champion behind the Slumber Party Massacre. And so I'm very curious, like what you what you think about the film in the context of the film, just the legacy that it's carried over the last almost 40 or actually 40 years. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's a really interesting one because I'd heard loads about it before I finally watched it for the first time, which wasn't actually that long ago. Um, But I was actually very fortunate to catch it in an actual cinema because they were doing a special screening of it. Um, And yeah, I, I my breath was kind of taken away by it, to be honest, because I'm actually not the biggest slasher fan, which might seem a bit strange. Um, more in the sense that I kind of find them a bit predictable. Um, sure. And so watching this, I was like, wait, when was this made again? <laughs> um, and obviously talking about it with the people who are watching at the time. And it was made in 82, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um and we are talking about the original here, folks, not the oh, remake, yeah. just FYI. Um, not that I have a problem with the remake. I think it's quite fun. Um, but this is the OG. So that's what we're talking about. But um, no, I think it's just like what really stood out to me was just also like the more naturalistic dialogue between the women. Mm. Um, not even that it was like a, hey, pointing it out kind of thing. It was just they were just doing it. And I actually feel like the direction might have even been for them to just like mumble and talk as if they were just talking to each other in real life, which sometimes sounds a bit weird, like they're a bit tired um, because some of the acting is like, you know, okay. Um, But it just had this different energy, uh, a markedly different energy um, that made it really stand out. And also just like a lot of weirdly realistic behavior um in in a slasher as well where everyone's like quite careful and they're all sat with their backs towards each other with holding their little knives and they're like 
I'm getting a bit tired of bored and they're like no no we should stick with it and all this kind of stuff just lots of little nuggets I rewatched it again in preparation for the for the episode as well um so it's like really fresh in my mind so yeah it just has so much going for it and it's just non-stop actually mm. the whole time as well because on the one hand you've got the actual slasher slash killing um that's that ends up happening but you at the beginning as well you get so many fake outs that yeah. are similar so to many them. Fake outs. yeah so many fake outs that are just so fun and it's just yeah. really entertaining and i just don't see you ha- how you have a bad time watching this film I agree. I agree. Now, Patrick, you are notoriously opposed to uberly violent films. Um, And I would say this movie is probably one of them. So, Patrick, I want to know, because you've never seen this before, jumping into this recording. So what did you think first going into the film and just kind of your initial time with it? So I this movie was not on my radar until you had mentioned that we were going to be recording this episode. And I, based on the name and based on like the five seconds of a Google search, I was like, okay, this is a slasher. Probably not going to be my cup, but hey, it's going to be fun to watch and talk about. And then I mentioned it to my sister who was on the Fast and Furious episode last week. And she was like really jealous that we were doing this and she wasn't involved. And I, we share like a lot of similar tastes, except she does love like horror and slasher movies a lot more than me, but when she expressed such fervent interest in it, I was like, oh, hmm, maybe this is like a legit movie and not fucking Leprechaun. Uh, and and offense meant there, Cayman. Yes, I, um, I gathered. And so I was expecting to not really vibe with this movie, but I was expecting to, you know, have a good time, like I said, talking about it. Um, so I was shocked as I was watching it to realize how like, while it is a slasher, there's so much more happening in this movie than just your typical slasher. So I I really enjoyed that it was there was like a meta narrative to it. And so yeah, I I I fuck with this movie very hard. Hell yeah, I'd love to hear. So for me, I mean I'll I'll keep my thoughts brief, uh, mainly just because I love this movie. And I've always loved this movie. I've watched it back in high school 15 years ago and was like, this is perfect. Like, this is so cool. It wasn't until probably out of college that I watched it again and was like, hold up. I missed all of the context involved in this movie. And there is so much there because it is not what you expect. It is. It essentially takes the slasher and just flips it on its head which made my my love of the movie even more. And so the big thing was is that I when I watched it with Sydney, um she was just like I, this is fucking awesome. Like this movie is fucking awesome. Like this is the female slasher. Like the dudes are dumb. The women are the ones that are smart. Like the dialogue feels like real dialogue that you know two women or a group of girls would have together and there's just so much that that goes into play here and just how like this movie is very sexual without being sexual at all and i think that that's gives it such a weird spin and vibe to it that makes it like just so much more entertaining to watch but we'll get into why that is here in just a second so let's get on to the show the slumber party massacre everyone the basketball team is planning a party a slumber party 
party begins at 8 o'clock. But be on the lookout for an uninvited guest. Please, please. When the pizza arrives, things really start jumping. Some people may have to leave early. But for those who stay, there'll be plenty of surprises. One thing's for sure, no one's getting any sleep the night of the Slumber Party Massacre. Close your eyes for a second and sleep forever. California, 1980-something. A girl awakens in bed, cranks up the tunes, then immediately gets naked. Which might set the record for the quickest nude scene in a movie we've covered thus far. Some trivia. So Amy Holden Jones, who um, one of the makers of the film, not very sympathetic to people who complain that she's, quote, a sellout to her gender uh, as a woman who's produced an exploitation flick with a lot of naked girls in it. She says, quote, that's what Roger Corman, the producer, wanted, and that's how it's done. You give the studio what they want. Nobody complains that Scorsese, Jonathan Demme and Ron Howard make uh, made exploitation pictures. But when a woman tries, she gets called a hypocrite and a turncoat. That's BS, she said. Uh, it should be noted that Holden Jones has parlayed this into a successful film career, producing such hits as, as you mentioned earlier, Mystic Pizza and The Getaway. And I think this is like the perfect time to point out because I feel like because I was telling, talking to Sid about this, I was like, it's difficult to try to sell this movie to someone who doesn't know the context behind the movie because you're the first scene of the film. Someone gets naked on screen just like immediately. But what's interesting here is. In a normal slasher film, or even just like a normal movie, it would normally be from like the male gaze, right? So it would be like a close-up of the chest or different regions, and it would try to make the scene feel sexual. And like none of this does. It just feels like it's just a camera that was put right here. The scene takes place. Nothing happens. There's nothing to make this feel any more than it is. And it just, it once it's done, it's done, and we move on to the next scene which I think is like a very interesting tactic to use because you don't see that, especially in the early eighties with Corman films or with Fred Olin Ray. Like it was so gratuitous and so like um, women or meat. I think that's the only way you could phrase that was the mentality and the mentality fucking sucks. So I like having a female director be like, no, we're doing this my way. Sure. You'll get what you want, but we're going to do it my way where it's not fucked up is I think like really poignant and like really interesting. There's something very functional about the shot, definitely, where she's like, okay, you asked for tits, here are tits. Blah, blah, blah. But even when we were watching it, um, Kia and I were watching it together because all we do is watch movies. Uh, favorite pastime. Um, <laughs> but Kier actually turned to me and he's like, oh yeah, she is checking herself out in the mirror a little bit as well, isn't she? And kind of like turned to me and asked like, do girls do that? Like, do, you, do, do y'all get dressed like that? And I'm like, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, you're just kind of like, ah, oh, is this working? Yeah, okay. Can I pull this off? Yeah, that's all right. You know, it's it's very casual. And I think mm-hmm. that's it. It's like anytime the girls are naked or are getting naked, they're doing it in a very casual setting. Um, and they're actually often talking about how fit they find boys mm-hmm. uh, or how sexy they find boys. And they're like objectifying guys while they're doing it. So the shower scene is one of those. Mm-hmm. So Amy Holden Jones either goes for hey, it's a really functional wide shot and you get some boobs and that's all you get and kind of thing. Or you have the shower scene where she's like, now we're going to really obviously go down to the butt and really obviously go back up. And it's like, is that what you wanted? It feels really aggressive. And I kind of enjoy that a lot. (laughs) There's also the one shot where it's just a 
massive close-up of a boob yeah. Yeah. The scene, <laughs> yeah. and you're like whoa it's okay. honestly like that's like the only like actual sexual scene it's like the only sex scene in the mm. movie and it's not even a sex scene uh, which we'll get to to how that all plays out because yeah, I yeah. love that scene so much and how <laughs> she plays good. it. So the news plays about an escaped murderer roaming the area. However, the girl on screen, Trish, decides, I don't give a shit. I'm moving on my life. And if I'm an 18-year-old, I would probably do the same. Now, the girl's parents are heading out of town for the weekend, and a neighbor will be making sure her and her friends aren't getting into trouble. Later on at the <laughs> high school, some boys try to hit on a female construction worker but she turns them down. Unfortunately for her, she's yanked into a work van and is killed by a creepy ass dude wearing a Canadian tuxedo. Oh, and he also kills her with a fucking power drill. <laughs> so, okay. So the, like, I just want to go ahead and get this like immersion break out of the way because it could last the whole film. And it's something that said, I've had conversations about through the entire movie. What does that drill run on? Because that's not like a drill that you would just have like a battery attached to. Like that's one that should be like connected to like a generator or a power outlet. Because the drill is like 36 inches long. Like it's one that you would use to like burrow holes in like the ground when you're like putting stakes in. So like is he, he's just carrying it around. Like there's no way this thing runs, right? Maybe it's rechargeable battery packs. The, the battery pack would have to be. Well, one, the dude is incredibly strong because he carries a ton of bodies in this movie. And, and with the other drill hanging, so the dude is like the Hulk level strength. However, I just feel it implausible that he's like, in, especially in 1982, because I have like uh, I one of those old power drills that you have to plug in. And it's like from like this, the 80s. And I'm like, OK, there's no fucking way they got battery packs for this shit. I think I think if you're asking the question, how is the drill being powered? Uh, something has gone wrong with the film. Mm. <laughs> you know I what I mean? Disagree. And then there's also that whole scene where they have the axe that's actually powered by the mains that yeah. you can't take out of the cellar. So yeah. I don't know if that's meant to like dangle a carrot and be like, yeah, his thing works and this one doesn't. Ooh. You figure it out. Mm. Mm, maybe also, it is. Maybe this all To go back there. just a second, uh, post the like the opening scene when she leaves and i think it was like her mother she was talking to i forget who she was talking to maybe the neighbor um but she like throws stuff in the trash and there's like a little doll and the killer like grabs the doll out of the trash like there i the first like 10 minutes of this movie there's so many like tone setting little things that happen mm -hmm. like that that are just like creepy because the pulling of the the doll out of the trash is right after valerie leaves the room and the radio is like there's a killer on the loose and th those things like kind of go back to back. And I just I love the very like direct. They keep just missing the thing mm -hmm. that it would give them clues as to what's happening. Um, I, I like that tactic. That's good. So we cut back to gym class and a bunch of girls are playing a game of basketball. The boys from before are jeering them on. This game ends, and we're treated to the obligatory 1980s women's locker room scene. So apparently Brink Stevens, who, do we know, do you know off the top of your head who Brink Stevens plays in this movie? Yes, uh, she dies next. <laughs> Got it, okay, that's Brink. So Brink Stevens said in an interview that during the shower scene, she had no problem being nude, but several of the other girls put tape over their nipples so that the director couldn't use shots of their breasts. That's why only the bare backs of most of them are shown. Honestly, baller shit. Like, that's a good way to be like, nah, like, sure, you can take a shot from here, but no. Like, making making shots be unusable is, like, such a middle finger to the studio. 
and to Roger Corman, that fucking creep. Like, I'm like totally down with that. That's fucking awesome. Trish asked for all the girls from the team to come over to her house for a slumber party. No boys allowed, but they want the new girl, Valerie, to come with them. Valerie overhears and declines. Back outside of the school, the creepy killer man lurks about. One of the girls forgets something in the locker room and heads back. She finds herself locked in, which signals her demise as she's soon attacked by the denim bandit. Though she gives him a good chase, it's not too long before she, too, is caught by the 36-inch power drill. This poor girl. Really, Patrick, that's all you have to say there? Just this poor girl? (laughs) That's all I got to say. I was waiting for it. Later. All right. Well, there's going to be more I'm teeing up for you later, so you better get your juice <laughs> on, bud. What I what I love about that particular kill, though, as well, is that he genuinely just loses track of her yeah. for a really mm-hmm. long time. Mm-hmm. And I was like, again, I love the realism of this. Like, you don't see uh, stalker killer slashes like be at a loss. I mean, he he's still very intent. Like, he's still got that energy. He doesn't like go, oh, well, that's a shame. He's just like wired, but. She almost gets away with it, apart from the little trickle of blood that betrays her. Mm. I do really uh, love that he, like, they go very far to just be like, this is just a regular creepy guy. Like, he's not Leatherface. He's not, like, there's no supernatural thing here. He's just a creep that is trying to kill these women. And it shows because he makes mistakes like that, which I, I appreciated. You know, this scene reminded me so much. I was like, it feels like right now I'm watching a real life adaptation of an, a game of Dead by Daylight, where mm-hmm. like you just you just juke <laughs> the killer out and he's just spinning in circles, being like, which has been me all the time, being like, where did it go? And just you know, but she dies, so you know. I'm, I just want to point out, in the name of fairness, the Driller Killer does not just kill ladies. True. You're right. He True. does not discriminate. You're right. That's on me. Okay. He's just also a really horny bastard, which comes up at the end of the movie, and it gets, well, we'll get there. The bratty girl from before is stalked down the street. She's attacked, but then pulls off some jujitsu and throws one of the boys to the ground. Surprise, it's her boyfriend. Twist! She tells him that the party tonight is just for the girls and sends him packing. Another great fake out the like the stalking camera you think that this is the guy that's just her boyfriend just the boyfriend the gym teacher makes it back home and almost takes a drill to the face luckily for her though it was just her handy woman putting in a peephole on her door double twist which like (laughs) if i'm i don't know that there's ever going to be a time that i'm putting a peephole in my own door but if there is I won't do it out into the street in case <laughs> someone happens to come to the door at that exact moment. I was uh, looking up plyboard today because I'm making a movie and I was like, oh, that's a fake plyboard door that they've put in there. <laughs> um, yeah, I spotted that from a mile away. And then it came, the drill came through and you're like, ah, that's why. But I will point out, this is the second female handy woman we've seen mm-hmm. in the movie as well. Yeah. So we've had a female electrician earlier. Yep. Uh, who was the first victim which oh, yeah. i just want to highlight i i actually that kill stuck with me probably one of the most just because it's that someone dying in the middle of the day with loads of people around that's so much more creepy yeah 
than than yeah. some of the the sort of oh well it was just a quiet well it was like a mm-hmm. dark night and everyone's in their home and people could misunderstand the screaming whereas like there it's just really really bad timing i mean yeah. so patrick's point though it also just kind of goes to show like the ineptitude of the driller killer that like he's so bad at this like one, he loses the girl, and two, he just like snatches someone up in the middle of a parking lot with a shit ton of people around. It's like, uh, we're gonna get my rocks off. I'm gonna get my rocks off. But also, that kind of thing kind of plays to the context of like, which I will definitely get to. I just feel like we're really teeing it up here, and I don't want to spoil <laughs> it, but uh, we'll get there. All right, now I hope you guys are ready to party because we cut to Trisha's house where she's getting ready for the girls, girls, girls. Someone's inside the house though. And Trish tries to escape before she's grabbed by her neighbor. Triple twist. What a fucking pervert this dude is, guys. What a fucking pervert. Why was this man in her house? I I didn't get that. He's supposed to be watching after her. Okay. Yeah, it's a weird one. Um, I guess it was like that thing where we're like, is he meant to be a red herring or something in this? But you're like, we've already seen the killer. So it's not like we don't know, but I guess you'd be like, this is another threat or something. And he's like, I'll just stay with you until your friends arrive. I I, I guess in theory makes it make sense. But the way the guy's playing it is very strange. Well, Mm -hmm. I think for me, the way I read into this whole thing is that like, he is still an existential threat. Like, he's a creepy neighbor he's a dude there's a teenage girl left at home and like a lot of the threats in real life are the ones closest to you right mm. and like you're they're kind of leaning into that where they're like setting up that like at this point in the film like even the dad at the very beginning of the movie is like yelling at his wife because he's like we gotta leave we gotta leave like there's at this point every person we've been introduced to that's a male character they haven't been good and that's a very much a huge role reversal from like the normal 80s slasher film where it's not like the women are bad. It's just playing in like the stereotypes or this like weird notion that like women are lesser than the male sure. characters. And they're kind of flipping that where like all the men, male characters in this movie are not good. And they're just really like kind of teeing up this guy's like that. Yes, you should also be afraid of your fucking neighbor because he's a creep and everything he does in this movie is creepy as hell. I do need to add something though because I do feel like what's great about this film and its female characters is that they're not too saccharine either because Mm -hmm. there are a lot of female characters in horror movies that are badasses yeah it's just that they you can't they have no flaws um and that's what I find kind of boring about them especially final girls like that kind of thing they're usually undeniably good in some way um so I think it's great that you know all the women in this they they have you know sexual urges and they talk about them quite openly and they're disgusting and they do weird things with pizza but we'll get into that later yeah 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 that kind of thing (laughs) the gym teacher breaks a bottle of wine then hears a noise she grabs a shard of glass and then goes to investigate she hears a scraping at the door and it's her cat quadruple twist Look, I have three cats. Proudly. None of my cats are getting to the top of my closet. Seriously? Yeah. Maybe they're just not talented. Jesus Christ. Maybe. Maybe. He's going to find me and he's going to kill me. 
These fucking cats, <laughs> Sid's cats are just the fucking worst, man. They're just everywhere. They're anything you've got. If you got clothes, they're going to be inside of your clothes. They're going to be on top of the refrigerator. I lost one of the cats when Sid was out of town a few weeks back. And I was like losing my mind. I was like, holy shit, I've lost one of the cats. This is not good. And then come to find out it was because it was on top of the refrigerator. <laughs> so, you know, that, that is terrifying, though. I lost a friend's cat at the back of the sink at one point. They climbed into some weird hole and I was like, they're going to get stuck in the pipe. And I was meant to be cat sitting. She, I, I don't think I ever told her. So sorry Jess, <laughs> for listening right now. Um, but your cat was fine, so it was all right. So yeah, your cat shouldn't have gotten the sink. True, true. Now we cut to the douche bros talking about how they're going to spook the girls. At the same time, they pass the construction van that the Justin Timberlake denim suit lookalike is currently driving around him. Some trivia. Amy Holden Jones, a film editor, wanted to direct and ask Francis Dole, a writer and story editor associated with Roger Corman, for advice. Dole gave Jones a number of scripts. Jones chose the script that would become The Slumber Party Massacre, then going by the title of Don't Open the Door, and decided to film the first three scenes. Her husband, cinematographer Michael Chapman, acquired equipment and film and hired actors from the University of California, Los Angeles also known as UCLA, and they shot the scenes at their house over a weekend for $1,000. She showed the result to Roger Corman, who agreed to finance the film. So you're telling me, Cayman, that somewhere out there is like a $1,000 version of this movie? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's cool. I mean, Alex can probably testify to this. So like, that's kind of how a lot of movies, like you do testers for a lot of films. That's cool. Yeah. Like, if you really have to win someone over as well, because this was her directorial debut as well, wasn't it? Yep. So, um, I... This might be a fake fact. We can blame Kier. Um, but I believe Amy Holden-Jones was up for the role of editing Steven Spielberg's E.T. And she turned it down to direct this so that she could direct this movie. Oh, I wow. might be wrong, but it sounds like such a cool story. I thought I'd just bring it up just in case. <laughs> I choose I to believe great. that as yes. fact. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and it all was the, worth it. All the yes. girls, all the girls arrive at Trisha's house. They bust out some Maui Wowie, and the neighbor plays it off by saying that he won't say anything if Trish doesn't tell them he was perving around their house. <sighs> this fucking neighbor, man. I'm sorry, I can't get past the fact <laughs> that this dude is just a piece of shit. All right. Now, in a different house, a house across the street is Valerie. She's the new girl at school, the one that declined the party invitation. Well, because she's her- getting bullied. Yeah, because the bratty girl is just not very nice to her, yeah. which, you know, I guess is par for the course if you're a high school girl or a high school boy. doesn't really matter what you are. That's just what happens. That's a sad fact. Sad women reality. on women hate is a sport. What can I say? As a male, I could, could say I, I don't understand it as much, but <laughs> I will trust your words there. <laughs> now, Valerie and her sister are hanging out, and there's a disturbance outside, so Valerie runs out to see what's up. Her sister, on the other hand, snoops around and finds Valerie's copy of Playgirl, featuring none other than Sylvester Stallone. The Italian oh, yeah. stallion. Whew, what a handsome hunk of meef that guy was at the time. Well, Valerie gets scared because she hears more noises and decides to take off back inside, which is a smart move. Now, in the party house, the girls are all getting undressed, while the douche bros linger around outside getting a peek. Of the action. There has never been a moment in my life mm-hmm. that I've tried to like spy on women changing anywhere. Mm-hmm. And like seeing this happen in action in this movie, I can't help but wonder like how 
could they not be caught? You know what I mean? Like, I, mm. I understand that for the sake of the movie, like, like they're just like right out in the open of the window. And like, the window's open. And the window's open. Yeah. Like, yeah. again, suspension of disbelief. But I, I was like, I don't know. I feel like if that were something that I would do, I, I would probably do it a lot sneakier than these guys are doing it. Just a window open, four girls, six feet away, changing. You know, it's one of the things. So Sid loves natural light. So she's always like, leave the blinds open everywhere. We need all the natural light in our mm-hmm. house. And I'm like, absolutely fucking not. Have you ever seen a movie before? There's going to be one person that's going to be just walking past. It's like, this person's getting naked. And they're just going to sit there. And that might not actually happen in real life. But like, I will say when I lived I in, in Midtown during the pandemic, we lived on the 16th floor. And there would be times we lived in like this shoebox apartment and there'd be these times when um, the skyscraper like next to us, that was also an apartment. I would be like, we'd be sitting out there because we didn't have a balcony. So we're stuck in our apartment in the middle of the pandemic. So we're like at this window because it's our only way to get to the outside world. And uh, there would be people doing all sorts of things without blinds. And I'm like, okay, well, I guess I can't be here because I don't really want to watch you two have sex right now. So yeah. So technically, you have peeked on people. Just I guess, I guess it, unintentionally, yes. Mm-hmm. I did walk okay. away though. Well, I'm glad that we cleared the air on that. Yeah, for the record. Fuck yeah, pervert. <laughs> I need a new guest. I need a new host now on the show. I got to get this guy out of here. All right, now the bra- the bratty girl. She heads outside to get some firewood. You see her lingering, a lingering figure of a man holding a butcher knife. Don't worry though, it's just the fucking neighbor again. And apparently he's out hunting snails and the best way to kill snails is with a butcher knife. You've obviously never gone snail hunting. It sounds. Yeah. You know, you do know what you need to feed snails, right? So you can eat them. You have to get them purified by feeding them carrots and then you can cook them. Yep. What? I learned that from Gordon Ramsay. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know what this is the british coming out of you i get it it is it i is. was hoping we get more of the swedish side but no we're just getting all brit today yeah. aren't it's we? also swiss but that's okay Damn. everyone gets that mixed up you know Slow clap for you Slow you, clap. you know this fucking you know guy. this is par for the course because every time we have kieran he always he always drops the line he always goes not to be pedantic oh and then I know once he says that i'm about to get my ass grilled he is the most pedantic person. It's true. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll look at him. I'll, I know he knows when he's being pedantic because I'll give him a specific look. Um, but yes, you need to get your snails to poop orange poop. That way, you know the carrot's gone all the way through them, and then you can throw them in a saucepan. Wow, it's, it did just sound like you were hosting yeah. a segment on the show. <laughs> yes, this is going to be a good. new segment. It's going to be asking good. Alex for cooking recommendations. Alex is cooking tips. <laughs> After the girl walks back inside, the neighbor gets a nice drilling from behind. Come on, Cayman. <laughs> By the killer <laughs> with an actual drill. Get your heads out of the gutters, guys. Come on. This is this is not sexual, I promise. Love is love. Love is love. Thank you. And not <laughs> love. Well, I mean, love is love, but not love if you're literally getting drilled from behind with an actual power drill and you are dying. I don't. I, okay, you know what? There are some, some kinks out there. I'm not going to themselves judge. in different ways. <laughs> yeah. Who are you to tell me what love looks like? Not to be pedantic, but... Oh. <laughs> I can't wait for the messages from Kira after this episode goes live. Yeah. 
Trish looks out the window and catches a glimpse of a man. When she looks again, she finds a bloody Barbie doll on the window. No, thanks. Uh, so the killer, Michael Valella, uh, that's his real name. Uh, he deliberately isolated himself and avoided talking to the other cast members do during the shooting of the movie. For a majority of the shoot, he was feeling like his character rather than just acting it out. Fucking and that's, Jared Leto over here. <sighs> Sus. Just like, you know, pretend. Do you think that he killed a person during this? Like he really took his method acting that far that he just was like, I have to do it now. I have to feel a man's heart die in my hand. God. Maybe an animal. Oh. Honestly, is it bad oh, no, of me? Didn't like that. <laughs> is it is it bad of me that I'd rather it be like a person than like an animal? <laughs> like one less. Animal I mean, on the planet. <laughs> yeah, yes. animals are inherently innocent. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So, I think. I mean, unless it's a cat, they're inherently evil, though. Well, apparently, or a snail. Are... Or a snail. That's true too. It's an insect. Those slimy bastards. Is that different. Anyway, back at Valerie's house, she finds her sister reading through her porno, then accuses her of giving hand jobs in the fifth grade. So, yeah, that I, sister I, do, love. I do also really love the sister just so casually just flipping through like she true. I, I really do think she's just reading this magazine. She's not like enjoying per se. She's just I, like. I love the moment where she's like, she tells her earlier, she's like, don't rip out the centerfold. And immediately she's got the mm -hmm. centerfold in her hand. She's like, whoops. Oh. Then like we get like during this scene, she like sits down with her and she makes that comment. Sister gets really pissy with her. And then she like turns around and she like shows her an image from the playgirl of like a dude bent over. So you just see this hairy ass. And this the sister's like, ooh, this is so gross. And it's like. Like this, this seems like a natural dialogue that like two sisters would have, and it like feels real. Like this, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be shocked if like this, a lot of this was improvised in the scene, because like it feels like some stuff that people like the two sisters would be saying to each other around that age. But you know, I mean, I do, I do find the the sister dynamic really sweet. The one mm -hmm. thing that I will say is I'm I baffled by how young the younger one's supposed to be because I'm like. Is Same. she 11? Is sometimes she's like, I think the thing is, like, young kids are always trying to act like they're older. So there's something that's, that definitely rung true to me about it. But it's just, yeah, she's really diff difficult to gauge. Yeah. Because then she's like licking a really huge lollipop at one point. And I'm like, I'm not sure how to feel about this right yeah. now <laughs> after we've just been talking about Celeste Stallone's dick. Yep. Yeah, I'm like I'm getting real mixed messages here. Yeah, on the but story I kind of like girl. it. The yeah. real like Iberian it. pig. <laughs> it really, it, it sticks out if you know what I mean. <laughs> At the party house, the girls listen on a phone call between one of the girls and her boyfriend. Some lewd stuff is said, and then the lights go out. They determine that a fuse has been blown and go to investigate. They go out to the garage, and we catch a brief glimpse of someone hiding. Someone jumps out, and one of the girls smashes his face in with a flashlight. And it's one of the douche bros who was peeking on him from before. So, before the lights go out, Valerie also looks out the window and sees the killer. Mm -hmm. But yeah, but this is, he... she's in the different house. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's, that's why. As I was watching this, I must have totally missed that it was a different character. I'm like, wait a second. You see this guy outside, and then you don't try to do anything about it. Other than just like, because they go to like close the garage or whatever, or lock the garage. 
and then the lights go out. But I, I, that's on me. I missed that it was a different house. Valerie is out and about again. And she gets attacked by her sister. At this point, these knuckleheads need to either get their shit together and stop teasing me and show me some blood. Mm. Mm. The bratty girl's boyfriend then shows up and the two pull into the garage and start to scrog. Inside the house, the girls led in the other boys to patch them up. The bratty girl decides to dip off with her bow so they can fuck in private. Little does she know that her boyfriend came prematurely. <clears throat> sorry, <clears throat> sorry. I mean, he died prematurely. Don't worry, though. She gets off in the end as well. At the end of a fucking power drill. There it is. Can you uh, explain to me what scrogging is? We've, <laughs> we've addressed this before, Patrick. Have we? Yes. I forgot. Specifically with Kier on the episode of The Burning. Uh, really? Scrogging is a term in which two consenting adults put their private parts together and they have fun like that. You should have known this when you did fifth grade sex ed, Patrick. Well, fifth grade sex ed in America is a joke. But <laughs> that's, that's actually pretty fair. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to cut you some slack on that one. I, I totally forgot learning scrog last time with Kier. I it's such a visceral word. Yeah, it didn't sound did real to me. How did you yeah. get that? You, I, I was dropped. I was dropped on my head as a baby. That is accurate. Your mother has told me the story before. And and I was yeah. I was wondering if maybe he meant snog, but I see now. It's different. It's definitely different. There's a <laughs> ring at the door. The pizza is here, and it's being served with a helping dose of eyeless pizza delivery man. His lifeless body crashes through the door, and the girls lose their shit. Outside of the house is the jean jacket jerk-off. I, I lost my shit because I was like, this is the first non-working woman. This is a working man. Why not mm -hmm. a why not a pizza lady? Strange. You know, it is interesting. Though, that is like, strange. All of the kills up to this point, they've all been very much like in the moment. But like in this one, like he drilled mm. through both eyes. And there's a scene at one point where you see the pizza delivery boy like like laying down. You see like they put holes in the back of his head. So like he purposely like drilled through his eyes and like I appreciate it, but also I don't <laughs> understand it. I also have to double back for a second to the segment before because I missed my chance and I'm reclaiming it. Sure. Is it 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 is one of the like standout kills in that it's also on the poster where it's the kill when he's standing over the woman and it's like literally the drill in mm. silhouette. Uh, between his legs and it's just like you know well not even a metaphor at that point right <laughs> like, yeah. it just is the thing and I just appreciate that image and I appreciate the poster because even though it's deliriously gross and defiled and all all, all the above it's like it's weirdly very aesthetic and pleasing mm -hmm. at the same time I'm like yes I appreciate the symmetry and the visual aesthetic of this image right now. So I, I can see why they used it as um, the poster image. I, I think it is one of my, if not the the best, like one of my favorite posters that we've done of any of the movies we've covered on mm. this podcast. It's, it's, a, it's a really good poster. I do want to point out too, we, we missed it and just for me skipping through, but that is the scene we mentioned earlier where there's the one close-up shot on like a boob. Oh, yeah. It's like mm. a very close-up shot. And it's like, <clears throat> it's in this moment. 
she's talking. He's like, yeah, it was fine. We could just do it right here. She's like, nah, that's not going to happen. Like if we're going to do anything, we're not going to be doing it with people next door. Like we're not just, we're getting the fuck out of here, which is also something that you don't see in slasher films. Everyone's having sex with everyone and they're all next to each other when they're doing it. And so I do kind of appreciate that, that she does. There's like very much a hard line, like a hard stop for her. And she's like, then she's also like, he's like, well, we can go somewhere else. She's like, ah, fuck it. Let's do it. Like, yeah, okay, cool. Like, yeah, that's that's how people would talk. Like, yeah, I wouldn't have sex in a garage with, like, all of my friends next door. Because she also says, she's like, there's been a lot of traffic through here, which is accurate, because so many people have gone in and out of that garage at this point in the movie. Uh, so I do like that. <clears throat> but also, to go back to the boob for a second, because, you know, mm-hmm. I like boobs. Who doesn't like boobs? Sure. Truly, um, who doesn't? Whatever you're picturing as a close-up of a boob, think bigger, because it is literally so close-up. It's like filling the entire frame it's, yeah. it's pretty intense i have a 65 inch i have a 65 inch OLED, oh wow and you can imagine the size of this booby on my <laughs> screen just, just, that's all it was like half of the wall of my living room is just one giant boom now one of the girls was on the phone with the gym teacher at the time that the, the pizza delivery man falls to the door they hang up the phone so the gym teacher decides to call valerie and tells her to please go check in on them then the two douche bros decide to play the white knight card and dart out two different doors to go find help. The first gets stuck in the garage where he finds the dead body of the bratty girl and then is promptly drilled real good. The next guy runs across the street to Valerie's house, but she is watching a scary movie and doesn't hear him. The dim demon hears him, though, and promptly ends his life with roughly 46 stab wounds to the chest. The killer promptly drags his body back and dumps it in the trunk of the car, where he stashed all of, of the other bodies. Is this the moment when like when he's putting the body and he like starts counting them? Yeah, and okay. I'm like, dude, you can't do math either. Like, this guy's dumb shit. How are so you crazy. killing all these people? You're so dumb. Like, yeah. Uh, worth mentioning, the movie that you mentioned that they were watching uh, is Hollywood Boulevard from 1976, also produced mm-hmm. by the aforementioned Roger Corman. Also, some hey. excellent editing in this scene to sort of mix the two uh sort of what's going on in the movie mm-hmm. on the screen versus what's going on in the movie that you're watching as an audience member and like you can just really tell that um amy holden jones knows knows her editing so there's yeah. some definite like shots that have been planned to like edit together which i really appreciate mm-hmm. Agreed. that's now my back- kind of porn, what can I say? <laughs> <laughs> editing porn back inside the house the girls cover up the dead pizza boy then enjoy a quick slices ah before hearing the chilly death rattle of one of the douche boys at the door. I can't believe you just put za in this script. I had to. <laughs> Look at this backwards hat. Sorry, this is an yeah. audio-only podcast, but I'm wearing a backwards hat today, guys. That's this is true. my new look. Oh, yeah. No, I, I love za. Za. I, I love um, this particular scene, actually. When I watched it the first time, it really stuck with me because I was like, what would I do in that situation? Because you're kind of like but it could be the killer, but it could be someone we could help. And if we just open the door, but is it worth the risk? No, not really. And um, yeah, common sense rings true, but is it is it the right thing to do? Mm, who knows? Now, Valerie looks out the window to see her little sister heading across the street to check in on the party girls. So she follows in hot pursuit. She knocks on the door, but the girls don't answer. One of the girls, Jackie, goes to get her but gets a hard drilling right in the throat. <clears throat> I'm so sorry, guys. Like, I could just, like, look, this is this movie's just teeing these up for me. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. I mean, it's also a metaphor of 
penises at this point if, if the mm. audience hasn't gathered all oh, this is a huge metaphor ah, for a penis like i'm just gonna I go ahead and let now. the cat out of the bag and just say it outright it all makes sense whenever you were saying drilling it was a i understand yes statement. thank you for outlining that for i me had to i really felt like you specifically patrick were understanding yeah either that or my jokes aren't funny so fuck you, i mean patrick you have insinuated that i am the denim de de denim Demon. That's a that's a little tongue twister, isn't it? It is. A, it is a, yeah, I <laughs> fucked that one up. Denim yeah. demon. Yeah, that's gonna be my Denim new demon. vocal warmups before we record. <laughs> uh, Trish sends her sister back to their house and heads into the party house looking for the girls. They surmise that she might be friends with the killer and opt to not let her know where they are. They sit in Trish's room waiting for the help. When behind them, through the window, comes. The most jeaned man in history with drill in hand. He dodges some porcelain figurines, but Trish is able to get a home run swing in his head. Before they can escape, though, he's able to stab the other girl in the stomach, and Trish leaves her friend behind to escape. His first non-drill kill as well. Oh, yeah. yeah te technically, because I, I'm no, like, oh, no. He, he, did he did stab the other guy. He dr he he drills the one at the door. He drills th him through the door, uh, but he does stab the one guy outside of the house, right? Oh yeah, no, no, you, you mean yeah, yeah, yeah. But he does. He still is. I mean, all of his kills so far have all been penetration, deeply yeah. sexual. Yeah, deeply, deeply, <laughs> deeply. sexual. deeply, so deeply deep. sexual. <laughs> Valerie heads back to her house and finds her little sister's body laying next to a garbage can. Startled, she approaches, and her sister rises from the dead. Just kidding, she was never dead. For some reason, they decide to go back in the house now after this fun little moment. Shit is going wrong. They all know it's going wrong. And this is the one dumb moment, is when they're like, yes, let's just go back in the house. The sister <laughs> wants a beer and keeps opening the fridge up where one of the bodies has been stashed, only for it to finally fall out, scaring them both. They attempt to flee, but are soon confronted by the 80s' worst attempted fashion, the Driller Killer. <laughs> I love this moment. Yeah. When she opens the fridge it, and yeah. she's kind of like out a little bit and then closes it. And then I'm like, oh no. And then she opens it like a few seconds later and just falls out. But oh, it's three also... times. Three mm -hmm. times she oh, it was three? closes it. So yeah, good. It's such a good moment. Yeah, it's one of my favorite uh, moments of the movie. That's Some great. trivia. So, so, so late, late in to be able to make that comedy mm -hmm. work as well, yeah. you know? Yeah. Anyway, yeah, yeah. trivia is um, it's always it's always so important uh for the scene where kim's dead body was in the fridge deborah deliso had to be stuffed in the fridge and was clinging with her right hand where the light bulb used to be holding her breath and playing dead for five full seconds twice before slowly flopping out she recalled that scene as tricky but was thankful for her past gymnastics training for that particular moment in the film you never because i also thought that. that i was like i wonder did they make like a custom fridge for for her to fit because fridges are mm. they're a tight patrick squeeze. patrick this is trash cinema, okay? They, they don't, don't make those, custom fridges. Right. They don't got a budget for a custom <laughs> fridge in trash cinema. Doesn't right. happen. Now, no. he apparently... In, sorry, in horror, you either get bendy or you get lost. That's yes. a good line. I like that. <laughs> he apparently doesn't notice them, though, and decides it'd be a good idea to take a quick nap in the living room. At the same time, the gym teacher shows up to find the man asleep on the floor. This guy, okay, like what? Like, I think in reality, like the play here is that like 
he's like, I'm going to go try to be the pizza boy. Mm. And I think. Well, because yeah, he has the, the blanket completely over his whole body. But also. Yeah, I think he's trying to fake out because he think he's like, maybe he can count after all. And maybe we're just assuming mm. he's stupid because he obviously. Oh, I see white eyes. What's happening? Do you think it's because he knows how many people are in the house? And so he's like counting how many he's killed. I mean, I think so. I think he thinks he's being clever and he's like, I'm going to go be quiet under this blanket and wait oh, until damn. someone comes out. Cause that's when the girl in the closet comes out from where she was hiding before, where she narrowly missed, he narrowly missed her earlier. Mm -hmm. So I think that's part of it, which I didn't pick up on the first time I only saw. And I only put together the second time we when he dragged, he says like, well, why is he dragging the pizza boy off? Like why waste that energy? Hmm. You know, I, I, mean? I didn't catch that. Yeah, I was legitimately in the moment was like, this motherfucker is just going to go take a nap. That's what I thought the first time I watched it as well. So I was like, okay, dumb. he's just a fucking weirdo, I guess. Maybe this, dude is, <laughs> maybe this dude is way smarter than we've given him credit this entire time. Because now I'm starting to, they're starting to little check little boxes left and right. And I'm like, <laughs> I mean, Scott might be brilliant. At the same time, though, I could take a nap like at any point. Yeah, like, I could take a nap right sleepy. now. You were the so sleepiest boy I've ever so met. So I... I mean, if if we have like a, a half an hour, I could take a nap right now. You tell me. I mean, we, I mean, if you want to, I mean, <laughs> I'm not. It's fine. I just snore. We'll have to. I'll mute my mic. Yeah, you snore real bad. <laughs> the gym teacher gets jumped by the driller killer, and it's at this point the little sister who is currently hiding underneath the couch is able to trip the killer, and the gym teacher gets the upper hand long enough for Trish to stab him in the back. Unfortunately, it's all in vain since the gym teacher gets gutted like a pig. The killer then tells Valerie she's very pretty and then he loves her. It also ends up in a conversation which sounds a lot like the beginning of a college, a college Title IX lawsuit, <laughs> which I 100% realize now that this is 100% on purpose and means a lot. Valerie jumps out and saves her life by chasing the killer outside. She then chops off his drill with a machete, which is followed by her taking off his hand and then emptying his guts out before he falls into the swimming pool. This scene. So good. This scene. Excellent. Just one of the greatest scenes, I think, of like any horror film. Because as we've discussed up to this point, we're just very laying it on very thick. This whole movie is a metaphor that the killer is essentially a rapist and he is sexually assaulting people the entire time. And he is, he's sure he's taking out guys as well, but a lot of his, the guys are more just, I mean, the guys are in the way they're obstacles, right? Yeah. His goal is to get to the pretty women. Right. And the moment when she takes the machete and she hits the drill and it just chops right off. And the look on his face is like, he just lost an appendage. Like he lost his penis in this process. Yeah. Emasculation, and it is yeah. Emasculation by machete. Such yeah. an incredible moment of just like, fuck yeah. Like this is that moment. There's always a moment in a horror film where the final girl normally, especially during this time, they get the upper hand. And there's that moment of satisfaction where you're rooting for the hero and you're like, fuck yeah, this is fucking awesome. This takes the cake for me. That's yeah. like one of the greatest ways to be able to show it just through visuals without even saying it. And I think it's awesome. Yeah, I love and like he's in shock and then loses the hand. And so he just like starts screaming at her and is like running at her. He's like, he doesn't know what else to do now. He doesn't have his hand. He doesn't have his drill. So he's like, he, he's lost. Wound. 
yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh <laughs> but yeah i i really i i this was one of the moments that like cemented how much i like this movie with with how they handled this uh yeah this climactic no, i 100 percent agree um it's just struck me by the way or maybe i already knew this but do you think because the killer picks up the doll at the beginning of the movie do you think he's been targeting that one girl that he talks to at the end from the start because he goes to the school? Ooh, I think so. I, I reckon so. And like everyone that gets murdered is basically just between him and this girl. Yeah. I mean, I think yeah. he... The poofy hair girl. <laughs> yeah. I think that's Valerie. Um, I could be wrong though. Um, I... Trish. Trish. Oh, Trish, that's Trish. Trish. You're right. Because Valerie's next door. Yep. That's right. That's right. Thank you. Uh because yeah, Trish is where he starts, and mm. but I'm sure he just gets off by killing all these other people too. But yeah, it seemed like Trish was the ultimate goal here for whatever reason. Um, but yeah, I think so. I also I also think it's interesting that they subvert the expectation because obviously we get we start the film off with Trish, and then there's the big scene in the locker room where we find out that Valerie, the new girl, has been bullied. And then you think the story is going to kind of flip over to Valerie. And Valerie is, I mean, she plays a massive role in this entire film. But like Trish is the the object of obsession, right? Valerie's just there in the moment. And so like the movie is about, like in this world, the movie is about Trish. And just Valerie kind of just exists in Trish's story. But Valerie is like the pivotal thing to continue to happen. She's the whole reason because it's Valerie who ends up chopping off his his metaphorical penis. And it's like it, it's one of those where it's like it it's the the secondary character is the one who that you find now is like she is like you subvert expectations. because You think it's going to be her. Then you have a completely different character that you find out like, oh, no, this is her story. And then it just kind of comes full circle. It's just very it's a dynamic that I don't think happens often that you have like the moving parts like this because a lot of these films at the time are very narrowly focused on like you know who your final girl is from the opening scene of the film sure and i think that's really cool i also really something that i didn't quite put together until what you were just saying like in like going all the way back to the shower scene like valerie is is very like intent intently looking at trish like she obviously wants to be friends with trish but she's being bullied. So she like kind of pulls away when she has the opportunity to sleep over at her house. She's like, well, I'm being bullied. So I wouldn't want to do that. But Valerie too kind of has this, she's watching her in multiple scenes in the movie, like not in the same way as the killer, I'm sure. But yeah, that's interesting that both from the killer and from Valerie's perspective, Trish is like the target. Yeah, that is interesting. Now the little sister, she runs out and embraces Valerie, but the killer comes back and attacks them. Trish runs out and saves Valerie, then in a final attempt to kill them, but it ends up jumping on Valerie's machete, ending his life. Roll credits! I will say, I was shocked. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was shocked at how there was no resolution. Mm. I mean... There's just the police oh. sirens over the credits. Yeah, it was just like, okay, so this, yeah, it, it's over. Um, I don't know how I feel about that still. Like I, because I watched it again today. I watched it last night for the first time. And I'm still, I'm undecided on how I feel about the actual final moment of the movie. 
I would have been totally fine if if she when she guts him and he falls in the pool. Did that's it? You know, if it ends there, like they embrace and we don't have him jump back out and he gets his final like falls on the machete. But then again, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with a little bit more blood. So sure, <laughs> totally fine with that. That's a pretty good kill at the end too. But no, I I don't disagree. Um, I know there's a I bit of trivia about it. Yeah, is there? Because I was gonna say like if that feels more like they ran out of time. Like, I feel like the way that like a move that movie would end today anyway, is they have this whole resolution scene that like maybe over explains Trisha's and Valerie's like relationship potentially where they're like, Oh, well that was a rough night, but let's be friends or some, you know, some cheesy shit. But honestly, yeah. I kind of like not like the non cheesy bullshit ending yeah. where like everyone hugs it out. Like just, Oh, you know, for sure. Slap for sure. a hard cut at the end. Take it. Yeah. Since we're talking about the ending, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go, no, 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 go ahead. No, I was going to say something really lewd. Come on. This is the same like, direction of the podcast. There's nothing wrong with them making out. I mean, I wouldn't say no. I mean, just saying. I, hey, love is love. Love is love. <laughs> exactly. That's what um, you should take out this movie. Love is love. <laughs> Even yeah. if it's from a driller killer, maybe not. Maybe. No means no as well. Yes. Love is love and no means no. Um, w- regarding the ending, Cayman, you know, it's it's as if you wrote the script and knew that this piece of trivia was sitting right there. Uh, the original ending had the killer killed in the living room, but Roger Corman dug the film and gave Amy Holden Jones a little extra cash to write and reshoot a bigger ending. It was the right call as this, uh, this end not only castrates the killer by snapping off his drill bit, but also allowed Jones to emulate something she learned on Taxi Driver. She rewatched Martin Scorsese's classic while rewriting this ending, and the constant yelling and pain in the film's finale struck a chord with her. She said, quote, it's very unnerving, she stated. So, interesting that there was a different ending uh, originally. Which I think this ending is way better than just him dying in the living room. Yeah, no, that would have felt less than. So it's interesting where, like, oh, it feels a little bit less than, but meh, it's still satisfying. Yeah. Uh, a couple other final pieces of trivia before we go to final thoughts came in. Uh, Rita Mae Brown wrote a screenplay. Uh, let's take that back. Rita Mae Brown wrote a screenplay for a parody of teen slasher flicks and titled it Sleepless Nights. However, when she submitted it to the producers, they filmed it as if it weren't a parody and retitled it Slumber Party Massacre. As a result, the movie displays a, a lot more humor, both intended and unintended, than others in this genre. How about that? How about that? And then final piece. Oh, go ahead. No, I, 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 I was just curious because I, I felt like I'd heard a story that it was, it was not in the parody version. They were like, oh no, we wouldn't want to film that. But if you turned it into a straight slasher, we would make it. So I don't know where the line is. Who know? Hmm. Who knows? Hmm. Hmm. I sure don't. And then final piece. Uh, according to the director, Amy Holden Jones. The movie was originally supposed to clock in at about 90 minutes. Considering that the film only runs at 76 minutes, quote, there was a different ending. We reshot to punch it up. It must have been lame because I can't remember it. I think it was the same, but without the pool. We ruined that pool with the reshoot, but it was fun. Amy recalled. One other particular scene that was omitted for pacing reasons, as Deborah DeLiso recalled, was a scene with the girls playing with a Ouija board, spelling out the words, death. I will say there's a little bit that I didn't include because I thought it would kind of cut into part of the conversation. But apparently the actor who plays the driller killer, uh, he didn't know how to swim. 
Hmm. And so he was like terrified. And apparently they also shot it like it was shot in California, but they shot it like during whatever season. And it was like cold outside for like the first Mm. time. It's like unseasonably cold. So they shoot this scene. He's freezing. He doesn't know how to swim. So the scene where he's floating like in the pool, like when the blood and everything is coming out, he's like on a pool float, like to keep him floating. And he's like in in the water's like 30 degrees. And he was like, please, no more. Please, I can't do any more. So maybe he didn't kill anybody. Maybe he just quit acting after this because he was like, no more water. I mean, maybe if he hadn't isolated himself as a way of method acting, the crew would have been, you know, friendlier with him. Maybe they wouldn't have had to been in the pools for so long. So the, the moral of the story here is don't be a method actor. (laughs) <laughs> that yeah, is the I mean, actual moral of the story we can get on board with that because yeah. Yeah, being a douche wagon is not cool yeah true very true well this brings us to the end of the episode where we ask the question save it or can it and so i will start off by asking alex you're the one that brought the film i obviously know the answer i know the answer all three of us at this point but for the sake of the way we format this alex would you <laughs> for save the sake it, of the podcast or would you can it I'm going to say, why is that even a question for this film? Just to be difficult, but obviously keep it. Obviously. Keep it. Get it on a Blu-ray. Stick it on your shelf. Watch it every year. The end. (laughs) Now, Patrick, we come to you. Obviously, I know your opinion as well, but your final thoughts, save it or can it? He's saving this. You're you always can everything. Just that's not true. You always say this. It's not true. (laughs) How many Uh, films do you know off the top of your your head? How many films you've actually saved? Because I swear to God, it's been like five. It's been it's been like half and half. I've saved like half of them. Yeah. Okay. Uh, This is an unequivocal save for me. Uh, As I said at the top, I was shocked at how much I ended up liking this movie with my expectation going in and even like talking more about it. It's cemented. This is definitely of the ones we've watched. This is like top three for me. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. Now me bringing in, obviously everyone knows from the very beginning of this episode that I am indeed saving it as well. For me, I think this movie is one, a classic horror film that everyone should see just on its own merit as be just a really good horror film. Um, I think too, like it is one of the only horror films, especially of that time frame that was from the female perspective. It subverts a lot of uh, genre tropes. It has incredible amounts of content or context and metaphors throughout the entire film. You, I, you could watch this movie a thousand times over and probably will continue to pick things out that you maybe not have caught the first time. And so I think that it, it gives that a, one, I think it's a great film. And two, I think it's also a movie you can watch a lot. You know, I think there's a lot of movies that are really fun or like really cool movies, but that like one viewing is probably enough for you. This one, I think you could do, you know, you could watch this movie a shit ton and still find something new to enjoy about it. So for me, this is a definite save. And if you've enjoyed this show, please rate, review, and share the hell of it with your friends, loved ones, and worst of enemies. Honestly, word of mouth is key here, and we aren't beggars. Also, fuck Keith. Justice for Keith. Fuck Keith. If you're interested in video games, check out our sister podcast, the Spotlight Games Podcast, and all of your favorite streaming services. We also have a YouTube channel, so don't be a heathen. Watch us there, or you can catch us every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Twitch at Spotlight Games Podcast. 
Nailed it. D- just pod. Just pod. Spotlight Games pod to see how much I do for that. I'm just a terrible person. But guess what? You can come watch us talk about video games here as well. We're currently in Spooktober, so we have a lot of great horror stuff there. So if you want to hear about horror video games, come check that out. You will not uh, you know, be remiss if you don't. Now, Alex. Yes. You're the woman of the evening. You are a very special guest. You I do have a vagina. Arguably, too. that you that is also <laughs> a, a, a fact, I presume. Love is love. Yes. Get you this are argu- guy out of here. You are arguably the most important person currently on this show because you are doing so much. So why don't you go ahead and tell the audience all about Do Not Resuscitate, all about Sucker, and all about Kill Your Lover because we want to support you guys however we can. So the floor is yours. Thank you kindly. Yeah, basically, I'm one half of Switchblade Cinema. Um, We are Kia and Alex. Uh, We're a married pair who love horror, but all things are genre and movies. And we're particularly focused on horror at the moment. Um, We recently had a short film come out on Ulta. So that's Watch Ulta from Gunpowder and Sky um, called Do Not Resuscitate, which is a four and a half minute blast ghost ride giallo inspired heap of craziness so if you're interested uh go check that out you can also see me with my very long hair out playing the patient um who is kind of a weird cross between uh the ghost from the ring and just also just have lots of lots of love to share in the form of black goo so you know check that out um sucker on the other hand i directed and wrote uh, which we made last year and has been touring the festival circuit up next is film quest where we're nominated for best midnight short which is very exciting uh we also went to fright fest earlier in the year and screen fest la love those festivals a lot and uh, can't wait to go back next year and uh, in the process, uh, I say I want to go back there next year because we're actually in the process of shooting our first ever feature film, which is Kill Your Lover, uh, which Kira and I are co-directing um, and are basically uh, T-minus two weeks uh, to shooting our second and final block. Um, we do, however, need help with the post-production process. So we do have, I'm going to help uh well basically Cayman's going to help me spread the word by um linking the the link to our greenlit page which is effectively crowdfunder kickstarter whatever you want to call it um but greenlit.com forward slash project forward slash kill hyphen your hyphen lover it's about it's basically blue valentine meets the fly uh we love our body horror get involved and uh come find us at instagram with switchblade cinema um, and I'm on Twitter at Alex Austin underscore, and that's Alex with an I because I'm cool like that. Yes, cool like that. And yes, like Alex said, we will include all have links to Do Not Resuscitate as well as one of their other films, Wretch, as well as a link to both their website and the Greenlit page in the description on the podcast. So whatever you're on right now, whether it's Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, Google, whatever you used. It'll be there in the description. So go check it out. Go to the Greenlit page. Uh, go support them. They make incredible work. Honestly, these guys are the the faces of the future of horror. Uh, I can't express that enough. Their shit is fucking incredible. So 
Very excited to have you on, Alex. And if you guys haven't listened to it yet, I have both Kier and Alex on an interview from a few months back uh, where we talk about their history as filmmakers, uh, their inspirations, their short films that they've made. And we talk a lot about the premise and the rise of Kill Your Lover. So if you want to go check that as well, go back, just circle through your feed. You'll find it there. It's called Kill Your Lover and the conversation with Alex Austin and Kier Seawert. So go check that out. You will love that episode as well. Now, in the meantime, you can follow me at Kid Kamen. Patrick, where can they follow you? They can follow me at FBI on Twitter. Perfect. Or at Patrick Schwag. Take your pick. I mean, the FBI is definitely watching both of us. So, you know, my FBI agent's actually my therapist, too. It's kind of a fun, like, uh, symbiotic relationship. Watching me three, by the way. Me three. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> if, if you want to check out uh if you want to check out the podcast here on socials you can go to save trash cinema at instagram uh twitter and tiktok whenever we actually upload videos there or you can check out our sister podcast at spot games pod on twitter and spotlight games podcast on instagram remember fight big box office save trash cinema i'm not gonna eat the dead guy's pizza I feel better already. Really, I do.